Well, we are in our second part of a series that I've titled Parabolic. We're looking at the parables, para, um, the Greek word parable. Um, our per word comes from the Greek word parabola, and uh, which is you know a word we just talk about all the time. Everybody just uses parabola on a daily basis. And uh, anyways, a parabola is a wonderful uh, curve that can be defined with an equation. And uh, anyways, the, it has some unique properties. And one of the most distinctive properties is every parabola always has a central focus. It always has a central point, a central place where it focuses to. And uh, that's why our uh, TV dishes and all those different kinds of things have the little thing out in front and they're curved. They're not flat. They're a parabolic curve and they're focusing, gathering all of the little digital TV particles or whatever and aiming it to that little receiver on the end. And they all have a central focus. Each one of Jesus' parables were all pointed to something very specific. They're all to communicate a central idea and to walk away from the parable and to not be impacted by that central idea is to miss the whole parable. And so we want to make sure we don't do that. The other thing that's unique about, about parabolas and this parabolic curves is as, they, as they're coming up, they just go on for infinity. They just keep going and going and going and they get closer and closer and closer and closer to this to a line but never cross it. They just keep getting closer and closer and closer. That's one of the things that it, you just never completely arrive. And as we are studying the parables, they, they have the central focus point that we have to walk away with. But man, they are so deep and they are so rich. And there's so much other stuff other than just the central focus point that helps draw us closer and closer and closer to Christ. You can read it over and over and over again and Jesus express himself to you in a new way every time. And that's what's so exciting about the parables is they're so simple and so complex all at the same time. So simple and so profound. And so I just, we're, that's what we're doing. We're looking at the parables. So we are on the, <clears throat> we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. We're looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this is uh, titled See and What? See and what? Because that's ultimately what we have to decide. We have to decide in our lives the dot, dot, dot. Um, when we read the parable of the Good Samaritan, we have to have the backstory, And we have this, this uh, expert in the law. This isn't just a guy who studied the law. This is an expert in the law. Now, everybody in that culture understood the law. Everybody did. So when you have somebody who is an expert in the law... This is a guy who knew it inside and out, quote it, could tell you how to punctuate it. I mean, everything. He knew this thing inside and out. So he's quizzing Jesus, and he stood up to test Jesus. Now, I don't know, but testing, you know, God of the universe probably isn't that good of an idea. And, uh, but he decides that he's going to test Jesus and says, Teacher, there in verse 25, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Man, the guy is on the right track. He's thinking the right thing. What, am I, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He's asking the right question. And then Jesus, in good teacher form, responds with a question. Ask him a question right back. He says, what 
is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? What's your take on it? What's written in the law? You're an expert. What's your take on this thing? What's your take on the law? So he comes back and gives his reply and says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Man, he, he, he has the whole thing wrapped up. Jesus himself, in another place, has said you can sum the whole law up in those two things. Man, this guy nailed it. He's an expert. He really is. He summed up the law and the prophets just like Jesus summed up the law and the prophets. This guy nailed it. And man, and this guy gets to hear something from Jesus' lips that I think everybody that wants to follow Christ just desperately wants to hear. I mean, he, he, this next sentence, we should all just desire to hear this when we open our mouths to God. He hears these words. I so want to hear myself. You have answered correctly. Man, wow, an incredible thing. You have answered correctly. Jesus tells him, you have answered correctly. And I tell you what, when Jesus asks me a question and I give an answer, I want to hear that as a response. Whoa, I, I did it. I answered correctly. And Jesus goes on and says, now do this and you will live. There was a, the, Jesus let him know that it was a little more than just needing to have the head knowledge. You're going to have to live this thing out a little bit. You're going to have to put some, some tires on this truck and you have to drive it down the road. And uh, then the guy wants to defend himself. He wants to set his parameters. He wants to know, all right, this whole neighbor thing. I understand God. Love God. All right, that, that's cool. I can handle that. But, man, there's all these people. Man, some people, they're difficult. So, there's bound to be some of them I've got to love and some of them I don't have to love. So he wants to know where the boundaries are. Which, who is my neighbor? What is my neighbor? And man, Jesus just slips right into a story. Immediately goes in. Seeming like he's going the long way around the mountain to answer this guy's question. Ask him, what's his neighbor? And then tells us the story of the Good Samaritan. I'm going to read it right quick. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now in this audience, he starts sharing this. They immediately, you would hear the, ooh, on that sentence alone. That path, that had a nickname. It was the, <clears throat> the way of blood. Was that highway. That was like the, you know, dead man's corner or, or one of those things. That, that path from Jericho to Jerusalem had the nickname of the way of blood. So as soon as he says that, he, the first sentence, you just hear the gasp. Oh, this poor man is on the way of blood. He went down that, why was he going down that path? We don't ever know. Was he conducting business? Was he out for, you know, a leisurely stroll? You know, had he gone out and just decided to test fate and see if he was man enough to handle the way of blood and whatever, whatever was waiting on him? We don't know why he's out there, but he goes. And he fell into the hands of the robbers. That's exactly what everybody was expecting. He's on the way of blood. It's a bad place to be. Man, you're going to get robbed. Moron. What's he doing? Why is he on the way of blood? The robbers show up. Of course they show up. That's what, the robber, that's what happens on that road. And so the robbers show up, and they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So guy is in a horrible, horrible spot. Out in the middle of nowhere, a place where 
most logical people don't want to be more than likely the person who's going to come down the road isn't going to be captain virtue okay he's on the way of blood it's probably going to be another robber or another something he starts hearing footsteps and he's not thinking here comes my savior he's thinking i don't want to get whooped again this is the, he's just out in the middle this is a very hopeless place and a priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man he passed by on the other side he sees him and goes around him gives him wide berth and goes around on the other side so then too so that was his his help number one leaves him then we have so to a levite which a Levite was part of the, the, the clan that was to, to serve and to, to work in the, the priestly deal. They were not, the, the, their, God was their inheritance. They didn't own land. These people were supposed to be very God conscious. They, you would refer modern day to the, the class of Levites to be ministers and those who, who work for the church. It would, whether it would be a janitor working for the church, that would be a Levitical role. They did janitorial duties. They were would clean things keep things straight the priests did a lot of the minister stuff and the levites did a lot of the other just acts of service this is a guy who should have been ministry conscious and this levite came to the place and he saw him and he passed by on the other side too but a samaritan another <gasps> from the crowd now, Samaritan is a low-down, dirty dog. I mean, they actually, when they wanted to insult Jesus and John, they actually say, you are a Samaritan and full of the devil. I mean, when they want to insult, they pulled out the S-word. Man, they, they pulled it out, and they used the S-word on him. They said Samaritan. So, okay, Jesus is in his parable, and now the Samaritan shows up. All right, and they're just ready. This, about, this guy's about to get another beating because a Samaritan has showed up. The Levite and the priest didn't do anything. Samaritan shows up. This guy's about to get whooped again. This poor guy's luck. He has to get passed by a Samaritan. But the Samaritan doesn't do what they're anticipating. He says, and as he traveled, he came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Very significant and hopefully touch on in a minute then he put the man on his own donkey took him to an inn and took care of him the next day he took out two silver coins gave them to the innkeeper look after him he said and when i return i will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers the expert in the law replied the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Now notice this expert in the law, he couldn't even say that the Samaritan did it. It's the one who had mercy on him. Couldn't even say the word Samaritan as the good guy. And just ah, that one that you said did good. He's, wow, you're blowing my mind here, Jesus. And, uh, so we have these two separate responses. All three see, but only 
one guy responds right. A lot of times when you see when things are repeated, when certain responses are repeated, it's showing proportion. Jesus doesn't just, just <clears throat> he could have just said a priest and a Samaritan and, and said the same thing. But he says a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. The thing is, is that with that proportion, it is more the natural way. It is more often than not, people are going to not lend a hand than they are going to lend a hand. It is the natural response. It is something we're going to have to, to, to actually step in and do something. We're going to have to, to fight our natural response. So our first response that we saw was see and go. Now the thing is, is when we, when we see this, we, well, we'll get to that in just a second. We, there are, are multiple reasons that keep us from going. The parable doesn't say why. They don't say what was going in through their mind. But we understand that there are times in our own lives where we don't necessarily respond. And this, this priest and this Levite initially, boy, we just want to rake them over the coals. How could they have not responded? I mean, it could have just as easily been one of us. I'm telling you, God is humorous and uh, I've lived here in San Angelo since 1992 and to my knowledge I have never seen a man in San Angelo laying down curled up on the side of the road until Friday I was preaching I was already laid out to preach on the Good Samaritan I was like oh no God you didn't that is not that is just too funny that is just crazy and this is what was what made me so mad is if I, all week has been busy we were, of course we were on vacation the previous week which vacation is fun but it does nothing but pile up work for the next week and so we had lots of stuff to do we had a very busy week this week and uh friday morning was <clears throat> was real busy and i uh, had a lunch appointment on friday and i felt like i was behind the curve i, I wasn't didn't end up being late for my lunch appointment but i just felt like i was like I was running late. <clears throat> we office downtown over here right by the, the courthouse and by the, the county jail. And as I am go to get in my vehicle, pull out, go across the little parking lot, and the county jail is just right there. And as I'm pulling out, I mean right in front of me, as I'm pulling out across the way, there is a man laying on the concrete. His hat's just about three inches away from him. It's like it's, you know, fell down and it fell off. He's curled up in the semi-fetal position up against this brick wall. It's almost noon in the middle of the day. All right? And I wish that I could say I threw my car in park. I jumped over a moving vehicle. I went and I lent aid immediately. Man, I wish that was the story. Ah. Oh. But I tell you, I'm just going to have to just be flat out honest. Man, I said the first thing that came through my mind was the fact that my wife was fixing to leave that office and come out. And here is this man that I assumed was drunk in the middle of the day and laid out. My mind did not go anywhere that he's hurt or in need of aid. That wasn't where my mind went. My mind is some drunk guy is over here and my wife's going to have to come out. And so there's a whole parking lot. My wife is not in any danger, but that was my first thought is, oh, my wife, I need to deal with this because with my wife. I don't want her feeling weird, awkward, endangered. Then my mind goes, okay, none of that's going to happen. So then I look across the way, and I'm looking, and I'm making sure he's okay. There's no blood, no skid marks, you know. He's not, you know, there's no, nothing there. And so, and I, man, I was sitting there, and I look back. I, 
and, and then my next thought is my lunch appointment. You know, I've got to get to my lunch appointment. And I put it in, put it in uh, first gear, and I start, and I, and I turn. And I'm looking, I'm going real slow, and I'm looking at that guy, making sure he's okay. Oh, yeah, he looks fine. He's just sleeping it off, whatever, you know. And uh, so I go, and I go up, take a, take a turn on MLK and get to the light at Harris and MLK. And I'm on, Brandon Clark, what are you doing? What are you doing? These people will wait, and even if my lunch appointment wouldn't wait. This is ridiculous. And I turn around, and I go and park, and I get out, and I walk up to the guy. And I'm like, sir, are you okay? You know, and I'm, you know, I'm thinking he's drunk or, or something. As soon as he opens his eyes, you tell, just looking at it, he's not drunk. And I said, sir, are you all right? He said, yeah, I'm just waiting on the bus. I'm like, okay. Uh, I just was curious. I just wondered if he was all right. Yeah, thanks for checking on me. And he sets up, and the only place that there was shade was right there up against. It was almost noon, and it's just sidewalk and cinder block and asphalt. It's a hot day. And he was curled up, up against, and the only shade there was waiting on the bus. And uh, so all was fine. There was nothing. I didn't have to take him to the Holiday Inn and put him up, saddle him on my donkey. I didn't have to do anything. He was good. <laughs> Made it to my lunch appointment, no problems, life uninterrupted. And, uh, man, I was so mad the rest of the day that my natural response was not to just run over there and see what the guy did, that I assumed the worst. I assumed he was drunk. Man, was not drunk. He was hot and tired and waiting on the bus. You know, yes, it's strange to be laying on the concrete in San Angelo. That's weird. That's, you don't see it all the time. But there was nothing wrong with it. But I should have I assumed the wrong thing. I didn't immediately stop. I had to sit there and turn around. And, man, it just infuriated me. And then as I began to, to look, it's like, man, why? Why would these Levites, why would, they, why would they not lend a hand? We can't just assume that these people are jerks. You know, we can't just assume that. Well, there's, there's got to be some reason. What is compelling these guys? Why did they not stop? Let's look at Numbers chapter 19, verse 16. It says, anyone out in the open who touches someone who had been killed with a sword or someone who had died a natural death or anyone who touches a human bone or a grave will be unclean for seven days. Now, you have to, to understand that. You have to understand these guys' role. This is a priest and a Levite. These guys have to be ceremonially clean to do their job. They have roles to fill. They were on their way more than likely to go and do something at the temple. And this guy was left, Jesus said, half dead. He very well may have looked completely dead. And uh, so as they're going by, they may have just assumed, man, this is a dead body. You know, I can't, I can't afford to go and touch this. I can't afford to be unclean for seven days. Hopefully somebody else is going to come and deal with this corpse or this deal. This guy got beat up. If he would have been touching his blood, he would have been unclean. There have been these other things that could be going on. But ultimately what Jesus is letting us know is that all of these other things do not come in comparison with loving our neighbors and caring for our neighbors. So we've just got a short little list of some of the reasons why we people who aren't mean, evil people 
don't always step in and lend a hand when somebody's needing a hand, when somebody's hurting. This guy got stripped, man. We see people all the time, man, that haven't been stripped of their clothes. Man, they've been stripped of their dignity. They've been stripped of their of hope. They've been stripped of all different sorts of things. And we don't always stop and lend a hand, breathe life into it, breathe hope into the situation. Why do we not do these things? One of the reasons is is our schedule. And it was like the you know the deal, man. I've got a lunch appointment. You know, as soon as I didn't, wasn't thinking about the safety of my wife. Next thing was the safety of my schedule. Man, I hate that. I hate that. But man, it does. We just our lives are so busy, are so scheduled, so planned out, and we don't want that violated. We have to be willing. It made me so irritated because Friday, what we read and what I commented on on the blog was about being willing to have your day interrupted where Jesus was met with the he he was going to rest with his disciples they got in the boat to go and rest and the, they the group recognizes him meets him on the other side of the on the other side of the lake and instead of resting or shooing them away he ministers to them feeds the 5000 Jesus had plans his plan was to rest but people's needs interrupted it and he was totally fine with that that was what i commented on Friday. Ah, just it's irritating. What's so funny is I fell into the deal. I had I forget which book it was. I had to pull back up the case deal. But the Princeton Uni- Princeton University has a theological seminary that goes with it. And they were doing a study to see if people really respond to those in need. So they set these seminary students up. Boy, they they set them up and had these seminary students come in and tell them okay we need you for your grade to go across campus and you have to give a short five-minute talk on the Good Samaritan and so they would sit there let them read the passage and whatnot and then at some point the instructor would tell them okay you need to go you've got 15 minutes to get across campus or you've got 10 minutes to get across campus or the last group would tell them you were supposed to be over there two minutes ago. I am so sorry. I forgot to signal you to go and put that I'm late thing on the inside of them. They had just been studying the parable of the Good Samaritan. They are on their way to go talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Well, they stash, they lay people, the person out in Trent where they have to pass somebody who has been beat up and is laying there. And the deal is, is when they're running late, 65% just ditch them to go and speak on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Which was, I, you know, back I had gone through this, looked at this study months and months ago. And I was like, oh, that is so foolish. How, how did these guys do that? That is just so silly. These, these guys, boy, they just get so focused and miss the whole point of everything. They said one student actually stepped over the individual they put them completely in the sidewalk and this person it was one of the late ones and they step over the hurting person to go now these are people who are seminary students they're going to be in ministry they're pursuing ministry thinking meditating on the parable of the good samaritan going to speak on and stepping over wow it's it's amazing how when we don't 
open our eyes to people around and we don't prioritize people, man, it's amazing how people can just fall down the rungs in, the, in our lives. Our schedules can get in the way. Flat out fear can get in the way. Just being a, afraid. Man, those guys may have, you know, not wanted to get involved. They may have thought those bandits were, were waiting in the wings. That they're going to come out here and stop. Man, they see somebody beat up. You're like, man, what happened here? You know, we, you run across, you know, some carcass, you know, eaten up by a lion or something. You're immediately going to look, where's the lion? Is he hanging out? Is he just having on a, you know, taking a break from his lunch? Where is this thing? You know? <laughs> yeah. See, I and me, you know, that fear can so get in the way. We're afraid of hurting somebody's feelings, afraid of insulting them by asking them, hey, do you need a hand? Can I pray with you? Man, fear just you know, so many times get in the way. Man, thinking that someone else will do it. Thinking that someone else will do it, man, gets in our, I think gets in our way all the time. It's not that we don't care, not that we don't. It's just, man, this is somebody else is going to handle this. You've probably heard of Catherine Kitty <coughs> Genovese. And uh, there was, uh, back in 1964, um, there was this huge stink uh, that in New York City where this young lady, she was like 22, 23 years old, gets off work late in this deal, and she ends up getting attacked over a 30-minute period three different times, stabbed so many times. And according to the news article, 38 people witnessed it from their apartment windows and that nobody responded. And she ended up bleeding to death on the porch. They were trying to get into her apartment building. And the guy left and came back. He attacked her, stabbed her multiple times, she called out for help. People hollered down, quit that, from the window. Nobody called the police. Nobody, entered, nobody came down, lended a hand. Ten minutes later, the guy comes back, stabs her some more. Leaves, comes back, stabs her some more. 30-minute attack. By the time the police showed up, she was, already, she was already dead. And there was just this huge stink, and there's been so many case studies on this. And they said that ultimately these people weren't evil people. Although there was a report that one guy actually turned his radio up so he wouldn't hear her yell. There's something a little wrong there. And, uh, but most of they said that when it came down to it, they inter would interview these people, is the fact they all thought somebody else was going to call the cops. They all thought somebody else was going to intervene. They've actually created this thing called the bystander effect, bystander effect. Somebody's actually more likely to get aid if only one or two people witness it than an entire crowd witnesses it. Because everybody else thinks somebody else is going to do it. Just think about how hard it is to figure out where you're going to go eat when you have four or more people in the car. Everybody else deferring to everybody else. You're in the car by yourself. Boy, you just make the decision. You go. Somebody else will do it. Genesis 4, 9. Am I my brother's keeper? Not really, am I really responsible for my brother? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then the fourth reason, and I think this is so rare, but it does happen, of just don't care. 
James 2, 15 through 17 says, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is he? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action, is dead. This is the, the scripture God pricked my heart with. Because as I was pulling away in my truck to go to my lunch appointment, then I prayed for the guy. Like, Lord, just, you know, just be with that guy, you know, help him out. He's, you know, laying out there's, you know, some, that's just different. He needs help somehow. And I don't know what it is, but you do, Lord. And it was that in my, basically I was doing the be warmed and be fed. You know, be blessed. And doing nothing about it. And boy, God brought that scripture and I was like, my goodness, how can I have done this? Now I'm so mad at myself and turn around and all was good. And then we see the other response. We see the response of the good Samaritan. And he saw and stopped. We're to see and stop. And when the Samaritan did this, he gave some, some key things. There'll be times that God will be requiring of us to give to people. One of the most precious is time. You know, my kids, whenever they're wanting something, I don't ever have them come up and say, Daddy, do we have enough money for this? Do you have enough money? Daddy, do we have enough money for this? No, it's always, Daddy, do you have time to do this? Do you have time to go buy this? Do you have time to take me to do this? Don't even think about the provision end of it. Don't even think about the money part of it. It's time. Daddy, do you have time? They recognize that that is a precious resource, that that is what's limited, you know? And then you're like, of course I've got time for you. We'll make time. We'll do this. We'll do that. But time is so precious. All of us are only given so much of it. And we understand that intrinsically that, man, we, when we give somebody time, that's, that's some time we're never going to get back. Something we, we're saying yes to that, saying no to something else. A lot of times, man, we can be so much more selfish with our time than we are even our money. You know, ultimately, when in relationship, it's one of the multiple love languages, the five love languages. When one of the, the, those five is quality time. Just flat spending time together. As we're going to be able to touch people's lives, then we spend time. Man, I love the fact that God has been so patient with us and has given us time to come to him. Man, I tell you what, every day that Jesus hasn't returned, man, that's, that's uh, uh, every unsaved person that's still breathing oxygen getting one more day to accept his grace. One more time, bit of time, thank you, to do that. God gives us time. He's a giver of time. The next one is his transportation. Sometimes he gave him his own donkey. And I guarantee you they weren't riding it together. He didn't say, you know, he didn't have him on back. That means the guy got off and he was on foot while this guy got his cushy ride, got his donkey. This guy gave up his transportation. There'll be times that we'll have to do that. We'll have to take time and give folks, give them a lift, give them a ride, give them, help them, help them along in that. 
deny ourselves something so that others can have it too. Sometimes it's easier to give somebody something that you got multiple of. This guy only had a donkey. He gave the guy the donkey. He let him have, have the use of it. Another one is, is money. He gave the guy the two coins, gave the innkeeper the coins, took care of the guy's expenses. He was willing to, to give of his resources. It's so neat that the, Jesus has the guy give him two denarii. That's two days' wages. Okay? And so, as he's doing that, well, when you look at that, and that's, that is the Greek, uh, denarii is, the, is the, the Greek deal of that. When you look at the Hebrew um, and the, the Jewish deal, that's actually worth, uh, the two denarii was worth half a shekel. Well, half a shekel was the amount that every person had to pay for the atonement. That was the atonement offering. Let's look at Exodus 30:15. It says, The rich are not to give more than half a shekel, and the poor are not to give less. <clears throat> when you make the offering to the Lord to atone for your lives, under the, the Hebrew law, every person, flat rate deal, one not... No, no person was, was valued higher. No person was valued less. Every person valued the same. And it was that half shekel. Every person as they crossed over was that half shekel. What this guy did was took care of this guy. What he left was enough to cover his atonement. Now, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan is such a gorgeous picture of what Jesus has done for us. And what Jesus did in our lives. Meeting humanity when we were kicked to the curb and, and whooped and taking care of our atonement him taking care of, of us on our, our behalf <clears throat> it's also cool that in the, the New Testament the word in is only used two times one time when Jesus was born and another time here first time the in was not available the second time the in was See, the word tells us that he was rejected so that we can be accepted. That when Jesus took all the rejection, he took everything on so that in our time of need, <laughs> there's room. There's available. In our time of need, there's a, there's a place. There is a place of shelter for us, and it's all because of what Jesus did. And the last one we see that the Good Samaritan gave is he gave care. I tell you what, when, when nurses and doctors, more than they are dispensing medicine, more than they are dispensing the you know, diagnosis and all that kind of stuff, they are ultimately dispensing care. They are dispensing concern. People need to know that they are cared for. There, man, there's something that is so healing and wonderful when simple care is given that I care about your condition. You know, uh, uh, eventually we could probably get to the place where we're Star Wars with all sorts of robot, you know, doctors and all that kind of stuff, and they give the little injections and, you know, do all that kind of stuff, but you cannot automate. You can automate pills, you can automate procedures, you can automate all that kind of stuff, but you cannot automate care. It takes a heart of love and concern for care. We all, God, we all need each other because care can only be expressed 
through a God-created, God-breathed individual made in God's image. Proverbs 31.20 says, She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. Isaiah 58.6-8 says, Is this not the kind of fast I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is this not... Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Man, when we are willing to step out and be like the good Samaritan, God says, I've got your back. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. It says, I've got your back. I've got you covered. The things you can't see coming, the things you can't anticipate, I've got you covered. You were there when somebody else intervened. You were God's hands when somebody else didn't see something coming. And God says, man, as you do that, I'm your rear guard. I've got you covered. I've got your back covered. Jesus' ministry was about helping those in need. There in Luke chapter 4, we won't read the whole thing, but he reads a prophecy of Isaiah and says that he, was, he, was, he came for these very things. He came for these very things to, to reach out and to touch the people who were brokenhearted, who were poor, who, those who were in need. We have to be willing to open our eyes and see it and know that God wants to do that in our lives. Man, if, he's the, if, he, man, if he has given so much, that ought to give us such great confidence when we go through life that, man, God is going to intervene. He's not going to leave us hanging out here. When it all comes down to it, the central focus is that we must love in real, tangible ways those that we come in contact with. Who is our neighbor? Anybody we come in contact with. Can't define it geographically. Person on both sides of me and guy across the street. You know, those people I gotta love. Everybody else you're on your own. No, it's anybody that we come in contact with. Anybody that might need the love of God. And I love that because that gives me such confidence. Because you know what? That means I got tons of neighbors. God's looking to manifest Himself through other people in my life, all over the place. It's not just that I'm required and I'm carrying this, this huge responsibility for every person I meet. Man, there are other people who are out there ready to step in and intervene on my behalf. It is such an awesome place of peace to understand what Jesus was talking about when we love God with all our heart and our neighbor as ourself. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. But we've got to keep our eyes open to it so easy so easy to miss the boat on that so easy to well right quick i want you to just to bow your head and close